0: Today, it's all about complex photo shoots with Art Stryber on Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. I'm Steve Brazel, and we have a great show lined up for you today. I'm so excited for today's guest because the way that I found today's guest was something rather unusual that happened. Let's let's go ahead and bring him in really quick. I want to welcome to the show the Los Angeles-based freelance photographer, Art Stryber. Art, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me, Steve. It is absolutely my pleasure because your work, I just want to get this out there right now because I'm going to be fanboying as we go through this shot. Your work is absolutely insanely good. And and I mentioned Thank at the you. start, the way that I found you was unusual. And mm. I, I think I told you the story, didn't I, via email?
1: Uh, you may have, but the email thread has gotten quite long. So
0: Yeah. For those that don't know, it does take a while to set up these shows and get the assets that I need for the video and stuff like that. So the way I found art was somebody on Instagram DM'd me one of his photos for the new Jurassic park movie, a a promo for the new Jurassic park movie that's coming up and said, please. And, And what's funny was the first link they sent me was a behind the scenes shot. It wasn't even the shot and said, please talk about this shot. And I went and I looked and I found the, the, the finished resulting shot of the cast standing in the woods type thing. Ah, yes. And they were like, please cover this shot. And I looked at the shot and went, you know, in my head was, holy crap. Yes, please. Let's do this shot. In going back and forth, deciding on shots based on, you know, rights to the photo and and how the industry works as a whole, we actually ended up on a different shot. And I'm kind of glad that we did because the shot that we're going to talk about today is is, um, something I think people will really relate to. And yet it's something that they don't normally do themselves, I guess is a way to word it. So let's start Fair with enough. you. How do you, because you describe yourself as portrait reportage, entertainment and advertising photography. Yes. Is it? So somebody walks up to you at a party and says, what do you do? Is that how you answer?
1: <laughs> no, I say I'm a photographer and okay. I just, I just, I
0: play it. I play it down. So, but here's the thing. Those are all very, very different genres. True. True. Is is there in your mind and what, what strikes you creatively, is there a common thread that runs through those that attracts you to them? Uh, absolutely. At, at the end of the day,
1: um, all photography is storytelling. All photography is narrative. Um, a singular portrait is narrative. Um, Uh, uh, food photography is storytelling. So to me, like I I grew up in multiple genres and I grew up in the industry saying yes. And I, I thought 30 years ago that magazine photography was the end of the world. That was the be all and end all. And I ended up doing a lot of entertainment and advertising, but I, I always thought of myself as an editorial, reportage, uh, portrait photographer.
0: Okay. Uh, Which, again, looking through your portfolio, looking through your Instagram, and for those of you watching the video version of this, either the podcast or on YouTube, I am putting lower thirds up under art as we go through, but you can always (laughs) find the links in the show notes at at, at BehindTheShot.tv. But- Looking at your history and researching you a little bit, you started photography very young. So you got into photography somewhere around middle school, something like that. You you had your own darkroom, right?
1: Uh, I was, um, in a manner of speaking, my grandfather had his own darkroom. But then at my high school, I kind of commandeered the yearbook and newspaper darkroom. And I can say this now, essentially, that darkroom belonged to me and my brother, Paul. Okay. So-
0: Looking back now, starting that young, how does that, how does that early learning of photography form who you are as an artist today? That's a great question.
1: And because I didn't go to a traditional photography school and because I never assisted, I have always learned on the job and I have done and continue to do all of the things you're not supposed to do which is buy the new camera, buy the new strobe, and use it for the first time on a job, Uh, which we had been told throughout the 80s and 90s and aughts, do not do that, always test everything. Um, So I I think the common thread is constantly learning, always learning. And that's that's how I still approach every single job, that it's Not that it's the first time, but it's the first time I'm doing this, and I'm going to learn at least half a dozen, a dozen, two dozen things on
0: the job. So, okay, there is a lot in my head to unpack there. A, (laughs) is it not unusual for somebody at your level to have not assisted?
1: Uh, at my level, perhaps. At my age, maybe. Um, but I just, uh... I was a, a staff photographer. Um, I did a traineeship at the Los Angeles Times. I did an internship at the Riverside Press Enterprise. And Out by me, yeah. There you go. And then I was a freelance photographer-ish, working at a small camera store in my hometown of Pacific Palisades, and then got a job on staff at What was then Fairchild Publications, Women's Wear Daily, W, M, DNR, Footwear News, um, essentially fashion trade publications that became fashion uh, retail publications. But as a staff photographer, I had to shoot still life, food, travel, fashion, events, portraits, groups, and I was working in at least seven genres. Wow. And having to learn the nuances and the subtleties of every single one of those genres.
0: So I want to go back to something else that you said about you you broke all the rules by buying new gear and then just using the damn thing on a job. None of this, oh, I better, you know, try it, test it, learn it type thing. And I I actually, the the more I think about that idea. I think that's a great learning experience for people. In that, most people almost fear. I've known people. Let me word it this way. I've known people who buy new gear, test it for a while, and I say to them, "Did you take it out on a shoot?" No. It's. I'm not ready yet. I don't have Mm. it yet. Mm. And I think that's an interesting point of view. And that is, you know, almost screw waiting till you're ready. (laughs) Go go get ready because, at least in what I do, which is music photography. Sometimes the accidents are the best. Take There's it out no on a job and you no use question. it. And what
1: the hell happens? Who knows? No question. But, but and I, I want to be clear that this wasn't like some kind of arrogant balls to the wall thing. It was naivete and it was, oh, I have this thing tomorrow. I have this shoot tomorrow. I probably need this thing and I'm going to figure out how to use it on the day. Um I love it. So I just love it, it. It was seat of the pants, you know? And there's still a little bit of like, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast, but there is a feed on Instagram called Shitty Rigs. And uh uh I have been called out once on Shitty Rigs, and it's the idea that while there are a lot of rules and laws and uh and by laws, I mean, lighting laws and and the the physics of photography. And, um, uh, there's a lot of math. There's also this element in our line of work, which is, you know what, what if we try it like this? And, uh, I love that, you know, making it work in the moment.
0: It's art. The bottom line is it is art. And there is, there is a, I don't want to use the word haphazardness, but I just did. Uh, there's almost a, a, a fly by the seat of your pants attitude that that can yes. work. And and by the way, let's be clear, has gotten you a client list like few I've ever seen. I've got them all written out in front of me. But the truth is reading them would take 15 minutes and it would be me talking instead of you. So five, five, ten clients that come to your mind off the top of your head that people would recognize.
1: Uh Well, uh, in the editorial world, there's uh, Vanity Fair, Entertainment Weekly, um, Men's Health, uh, Variety. In the entertainment space, CBS, NBC, ABC, The Networks, uh, The Movie Studios, um, Warner Brothers, Paramount, uh, Disney, Disney. in the streaming space, Amazon, Netflix, Hulu. Um, So yes, I I have a wide variety of clients. I'm very fortunate that way. But back to your question, um, it's it's the combination of seat of the pants, willing to try anything, but I think that falls under the umbrella of saying yes. And saying, yeah, I can do that. And then hanging up the phone and saying, how the hell are we going to do that? Well, we could do it like this. We could try. Let me call this guy. And I have historically from, I remember the first time I did this in college, uh, picked up the phone and been unafraid to say, hey, how do you do that? And um, for sports photographers out there uh, who were in love with Sports Illustrated in the 80s and 90s and aughts, like I was, there was a, a photographer Uh, named Andy Haight, who was just shooting everything. And it turns out his brother, John, was the first guy to be lighting basketball arenas for Sports Illustrated photographers. And back in those days, John would take his rig of um, brawn colors, I'm pretty sure, um, and would go to an arena, light it, The photographer would shoot the the game. He would climb back up into the rafters, tear down the lights, and go to the next arena that was going to be the featured basketball arena in the following week's Sports Illustrated. Now, there are permanent strobes in every single arena in the country. Permanent, like, four sets of strobes. And if you watch tonight's, um, although this isn't going to be broadcast tonight, if you watch the NBA Finals, um, you will see at peak action, these moments of lightning. Those are the strobes in the arena. And I called John and I said, hey, how do you do this? And he said, well, you crawl up into the rafters and you put one strobe head in with this modifying dish in every corner. And I said, oh, okay, I'm going to try that. So I have a long history of not being able not of saying yes, picking up the phone or sending an email, asking the expert, bringing in the best people, and just trying whatever we needed to try.
0: It's it's interesting because not doing what you do or anywhere damn close to what you do, uh, my mind immediately goes to, I, I like the fact that really what it is is, I think a lot of people at lower levels in their career, earlier on in their career, Tend to think I can't take that job until I have skill set X or am confident in skill set X. And really, what I'm taking away from what you're saying, which I, I, again, I think is such a key important thing, and that is say yes. And then the job isn't in five minutes. You have time to either become comfortable or at least become aware of how you're going to do it. And if you're uncomfortable, so be it. And I love that, which by the way, it's taken you, we didn't mention advertising clients, but we're talking Disneyland, Cadillac, KFC. I, I want to get into photo questions.
1: Well, let me, let me, okay, yes, please. Ahead. But let me just dovetail off of that last thought, okay. which is it's it's saying, having the presumption to say yes, but then also having the resources and the wherewithal and the curiosity to dive in, you know, and right. say, how do you do that? And th- the good news is that, and I'm a big believer in paying it forward. I have fielded multiple phone calls and emails from photographers around the country saying, "Hey, how do you do that?" And I am happy,
0: happy, happy, happy to answer that question. And which, which by the way, leads me to the first photo question that I wanted to ask, and that is, it ended out you and I knew somebody together. So I got an invite to Cal Baptist University. They had a, a display, a. a, a basically a show. Senior work. Yeah, uh mm-hmm. they had a show for the students that were there. And the person who runs the program at Cal Baptist University, Christopher Kern, is somebody that I know and I mentioned to you to him that uh, you know I'm trying to get art on the show and he goes, "Oh, I know art." <laughs> Arts done a lot and I've sent him some people to be interns, which brings me to the intern question. You still use interns, correct? Yeah, but you know, it
1: ain't what it used to be. Um for all kinds of, uh, you know, industry adjusting reasons. But right now, we've got two of Christopher Kern's interns uh, kind of on the phone list. But the internship is not what it used to be uh, because the work is not what it used
0: to be. Right, right. But but that said, if somebody can intern, explain to people, because I I hear... People complain about internships and all kinds of different opinions on internships, which I have strong opinions on this. But I'd like you as somebody who uses interns to explain to people the helicopter view of, from the intern's point of view, the benefits of being an intern, of going out and working with a working pro.
1: Wow. Um, Well, you you – the um, emerging photographer uh, get to be on set and you get to see what it's like right now to be a working photographer, whether it's in you know entertainment or editorial or advertising and understand what it takes to be prepared for the job, execute the job, finish the job, Post-produce the job, keep the the client uh, happy, keep the talent happy. What's it like to uh, order gear? What's it like to scout? What is it like to um, uh, get to a shoot and find that you thought you were doing this, but now you've got to do this, or that the circumstances you thought were going to be in place are now altered slightly, rolling with the punches, creative problem solving. Like, uh, it's invaluable.
0: Okay, yeah. makes sense. So now let's talk about your shoots because many of your shoots are very big, complex productions, or as you described it in an email to me, they are done under intense parameters. <laughs> so, which is a phrase I love. What's the most difficult part of doing the types of jobs that you do? Is it the logistics? Is it the client interface? Is it? Oh my gosh, It. It
1: varies from job to job. You know, I can't say every single time it's the client. Uh, It could be the talent. Um, It could be the time that we have with the talent. It could be the budget. Um, You just don't know where the issues are going to come from. So you just have to be incredibly flexible and patient and um, push for you know, kind of what you believe in. Um, So what I, I approach every single job on these two parallel planes. One is logistic and one is aesthetic. So I'm constantly thinking about the logistics and the aesthetics and where do those things intersect? You know, where am I going to, how am I going to, when am I going to, what's it going to take for me to maximize my results and get the client what they need.
0: Okay. Which brings in another question. And, and I promise folks, we are going to get it to this picture and it's an amazing shot. But, but that just brought up an interesting question because in almost every business that deals with clients that come in and want something, especially things that are creative in nature, Photography is the art of compromise and so is dealing with clients. Absolutely. There are always those clients that as soon as you show them, "Oh, hey. You only thought I could do A, but I can do B." Immediately go to, "Well, I want E now." So, how do from a business side with the with the client type of clientele that you deal with, how do you balance the needs or probably a better word is wants of a client? with reality of what can logistically be done?
1: Wow. Um, Well, given the current work climate, which is more images are needed and less money is available, I always kind of give them the giraffe analogy, which is a giraffe costs a certain amount of money and two giraffes costs two times the original amount. And the giraffe handler is not going to give us a discount. So there are fixed costs that come with wanting five giraffes. Um, Well, we can't afford five giraffes, but we need five giraffes. Okay, maybe we can get one of the giraffes to double and we'll Photoshop the other giraffe. Like I am just constantly solving and attempting to solve creative and logistic problems to get the job done.
0: Okay. Makes total sense. And we managed to talk about giraffes, which is a first. Uh, I love that. So let's get into the shot. Before we do, just for everybody that's that's watching or listening, this is a podcast first and foremost, and it is available wherever you get your podcasts in an audio-only format or... If your podcast outlet of choice, like Apple Podcasts does, it's available in a video format. If your podcast app of choice or outlet of choice, like Spotify or Amazon or something like that, does not support video for podcasts, head on over to Behind the Shot on uh, YouTube. And all the video is always put up there as well. It makes it really, really easy for you. As well, I do want to remind you that the show notes for this show are available at the blog at behindtheshot.tv. And as well, if you happen to be watching on YouTube, head on down, show notes are down there as well. But on the blog at BehindTheShot.tv, I write a lot more about my guests. You can go read a little bit about the history. You can see a small sample gallery of art's work. All the links that we talk about are gonna be there as well. And last but not least, I wanna thank my friends over at dvestore.com. All your digital video equipment needs, please hit them up for it. Thank them for the the, uh, HD video. And that brings us to today's shot. And before we get into it, I kind of want to set this up a little bit because as, as Art and I were going back and forth picking a shot, we had a lot of shots we were looking at, and, and, and I think I even said to you in an email at one point, there's like 50 in your portfolio that I really want to talk to you about, but this one I kept coming back to in my head, and there's a lot of reasons for it we'll get into today, but this is an international uh, publicity shoot for Sony Uh, For worldwide editorial distribution, it is the cast of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and for that matter, the director of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino as well. Quentin Tarantino, Margot Robbie, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Brad Pitt. And I don't think I have said this to you before, but I'm going to say it now. When I first saw this shot, immediately, and I'm older, okay, so I – and I did not do photography until later in life, but I'm I'm older and I remember this type of, of look that's in my head. And when I first saw this, the, the thought in my head was, that is the most classic black and white portrait I have seen in a very, very long time. The feel, the emotion, the story, the lines, the composition, everything about this is like what I would have studied from back in the day. As we go through this shot, I wanna start with the technical thing, and there's kind of a secret to this shot we'll kind of unveil as we go. (laughs) I did look at EXIF data on the end result shot, which may or may not make sense because of that secret, but it showed manual exposure, ISO 400, 1 160th at f11 at 31 millimeters on a Canon 5D4 with a 24 to 72.8 and auto white balance. So let's start with regardless <laughs> of whether or not it's going to completely apply to this shot. Is that for your work? Are those settings semi common for you, the ISO 400 160th f11? Uh,
1: such a great question. And I've never actually talked about this on a podcast, but Let's just start with the ISO. We start every single shot at ISO 400. Why? And we have, I'm going to say now, maybe going on a, a decade or 15 wow. years. Yeah. Okay. And the reason is that when we ended our film life, we were shooting uh, constantly the, um, the Portrait 800. And we were shooting the 800 at 640 and 400. So we were already in a 400 state of mind. And um, and then digital came along and it wasn't great at 400. And, and so we went back to 100 for a while. And then the minute that the Hasselblad um, H2 um, and the... Oh god what back was it what the phase one of the early phases um the 60 the IQ 60 maybe no it wasn't an IQ regardless the minute it could tolerate 400 i jump back in and the reason is that at ISO 400 you just automatically get two more upstops of ambient and two fewer stops of power demand out of your strobes okay i mean it's just like an amazing um gift to be able to not uh have to shoot a really slow shutter when i'm dragging the shutter and in this case i didn't have to drag the shutter but i'm doing a lot of shutter dragging and to be able to um not you know just draw all of the power out of the strobes that that needs to be drawn.
0: Well, and also here you're at one one sixtieth, which is absolutely fine for what you're doing. Do you tend to stay around there?
1: Uh, one one sixtieth, the two hundredth. You know, okay. when it's all strobe, sure.
0: F eleven. I'm guessing for a lot of what you shoot, you need that depth of field, so you probably hang out around there. Yes, we just start. We try and start at F eleven. Yes. And what about the thirty one millimeter? Is that common for you? Is that a common focal length for you? Absolutely not. It's
1: whatever the the picture, like I go out of my way to look at the, you know, the end result and say, what does this need to feel like? You know, like we haven't even okay. started to talk about the quality of the light here, but I wanted to feel intimate. And the way you feel intimate is to go a little bit wide and get in there. Like this is the bartender's point of view, right? You know? And so I could be at 31, I could be at 28, I could be at 26. I'm usually driving the 24 to 70.
0: And and it's interesting you say the bartender's point of view because when I saw this, one of the thoughts that struck in my head was bartenders, like the person standing in the viewpoint that we are, which is the bartender's viewpoint. Uh, those people are hyper aware of everything from the left of the bar to the right of the bar, so they almost are, for lack of a better phrase, seeing wider than their their viewpoint of their eyes so before we reveal the secret i i'm talking about the shot here and those of you that are on the audio feed i want to make sure you know what it is that we're talking about so i'm going to do what i do every show i'm going to take a minute i'm going to describe this shot for you verbally god help me on this one and art when i'm done just tell me where i'm wrong uh (laughs) this is it first of all it's a black and white portrait with four people in it as i already mentioned right It is landscape orientation and kind of a standard four, three type ratio to it. This picture is so classically beautiful and I want to start forgetting the people. Let's just talk about the room. You're looking into what is effectively the back corner of a room. So you have a wall on your left moving at steeper than 45 degrees, um, you know, maybe 45 degrees and then a wall on your right that has less angle than the wall on the left. Okay. And that wall on the left takes up only about a third of the shot. And the other two thirds of the shot pretty much are the right back wall. And that right back wall has some mirrors on it that are round like the sixties, which makes sense for the movie it was shooting for and a curtain as well. The curtain also takes up maybe a quarter of the shot where it lands. It's tied back and it's exposing wall behind it. And then this is so perfect. There is a Rick Dalton poster on the left wall, which Rick Dalton is the character from the movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And you can see above that poster, upper left corner of the poster on the left angled wall, you can see a light coming down, doing rim light behind Margot Robbie and lighting her head, lighting the right side of the faces of Leo and Brad Pitt. And it's a little rim light on the hair of of our director friend here. I'm trying to, to, to think about how to go with this, but being black and white, it really stands out to me that the walls are gray, but the people are dressed in black, okay? The bottom of the image has a bar and the bar is also coming to a corner, matching the angles of the wall, which... Ties everything between that bar and those walls into the scene and tells a story. I think, I think actually to me, the fact that that bar is at the perfect angles of the right and left wall and how they meet, that symmetry makes a huge difference. On the bar, you have uh, two square bowls of nuts. One is center right, one is at the very corner right in front of Margot Robbie. Quentin is the only one on the left. The other three are on the right side of the bar, except Margot Robbie's kind of on the corner. Leo and Brad on the right facing Quentin. Mostly empty glass in front of Brad. I find that interesting. Whereas it's a full glass with a lime in front of Leo. I guess it could be a lemon. It's black and white. But Quentin is in a black tux with a black tie, white shirt. Margot is in a tux-like dress or jacket. I'm not sure, but with no blouse, very elegant looking. Uh, the backlight creating highlights on the bar, which is brilliant that the bar is almost blown. It's, it ties everything and sucks you right down that line, down the center where they're all looking at Quentin. That light, oh my God, it just hit me. The light on the bar sucks you right down to the viewpoint of all four of them. You're right in the middle of the viewpoint of all four of them. Oh my God. Lights reflecting in the mirrors, there are some lens flares. Margot's arms are folded, Leo's fingers together, Brad's in his lap. Uh, You know, Quentin has his hand out, like his left hand out, like he's talking. There is so much going on here and and wait until I get to composition later. But that's kind of the shot you're looking at. And by the way, Brad does not have a tie, whereas Leo does. Brad does have
1: a tie, but it's untied around. But it's untied. It's it's a bow tie untied. And that was... One of the most incredible descriptions of one of my pictures I've ever heard. So thank you. But also for those of you who are on the podcast, just do a quick Google image search, Art Striber Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, and there's the picture.
0: Yeah. And if you just go to behindtheshot.tv, <laughs> this picture is there. there so you if go. you go to behindtheshot.tv, find this episode, scroll down, there's a gallery with this picture and others that you can look at of, of Art's work. So I want to do this in seven parts, which is unusual for me. I don't wow. normally break it up like this, but I want to start with this story and the secret. This is not one shot, correct? That is correct. Two? It's two. Okay. So before we get into the story, I need to know: you shot, you shot Margot, Leo, and Brad separate from Quentin. That is correct. Was it critical? Because that type of a, this type of composite of people, I don't think most people would do to this immense detail. Was it critical to you that the exposures match in the two different locations? Absolutely, yes.
1: Okay. Oh my God, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And I I think we need to give a little context here. Um, When one does a, a publicity shoot for a movie for a studio, nine times out of 10, the publicity shoot happens after the movie has wrapped. Okay. And the talent... And the director and the producers are invited to the shoot. And uh, the, the shoot might happen six months or a year or longer after the movie has wrapped, which means that the talent and the director and the producers are scattered to the four winds. So getting them together is a huge gamble. And they might have to borrow them from the movie they're currently shooting. And In this case, at the last minute, we found out either the day before or the morning of that Quentin was not going to be able to make it. And so this is one of three group, four group shots, five group shots, uh, four with Quentin that we had to measure and lock and meter and diagram, and photograph, and then, if I can, can I go to the punchline?
0: Yeah, go for it.
1: Two weeks later, fly to France, where Quentin had given us an hour or two while he was debuting this movie at the Cannes Film Festival, and recreate each of these scenarios on Grey Seamless to slide Quentin into the photos.
0: Yeah, it's just, oh, it's insane. And, so I want to go into that story and planning of this shot, the story you kind of just told, but the, but the planning, the you mentioned measuring, yes. Yeah. So let's let's talk about. It. I'm going to bring up some some uh, you know behind the scenes that you sent me as well as we do this, but explain to me when you are doing a shot like this, right? And again, we'll get into lighting later because the lighting in this shot is nothing short of just wonderfully amazing, right? But just from a pure shot point of view and what you just said with measuring and blocking and sketching and planning and all of that, because you're doing it in two completely desperate places, recreating what you need to recreate. Explain to me that type of planning. What are you measuring? What's all involved with pulling off a shot like this to where, by the way, the three on the right are looking right at him. They, You knew where he was going to be, clearly. yes. Explain. Uh, All right. Well, um, I created
1: years ago a form that my crew and I fill out that measures every single aspect of the shot. And when I say every aspect, I'm talking about the height of the tripod, the angle of the tripod, the distance of the tripod to the subject, the Height of the light, the angle of the light, the distance of the camera to the light, uh, the intensity of the light, the setting on the pack. Um, We are diagramming the entirety of the technical aspects of the shot.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: And then you've got you've got BTS. We're shooting BTS and the BTS is informative as well. You know, because we're going to replicate um, as many lights as necessary. Uh, in this case, in this shot, there are one, two, three, four, five, six lights. There are six strobes in this shot. Okay, but for Quentin, we only had to fire two: the front light and
0: the edge light. You whoa, okay? Whoa, whoa! You could you could say confidently. I mean, in my head, I'd set up all six, even if they weren't pointing at Quentin, because I would be so afraid that there would be some spill that I wasn't aware of from one of the other lights. We No budget.
1: Number one. And number two, um. not necessary. Like there's a light lighting the Rick Dalton, Dalton poster. There are two lights up lights on the two velvet curtains. There is a light specifically aimed into the mirror To imagine that the reflection of the light that's on the talent is actually reflected in the mirror. And then there's the edge light and the front light. So the only two lights we need for Quentin are the edge light and the front light.
0: That is amazing. Okay. So then then let's do this then let us get a little bit more into the lighting because the lighting <laughs> here. I don't even know where to go with this. Cause I don't do what you do. So this is actually going to be really interesting to see if I can even hold my own on this one. You've got six lights and I just went through the, the behind the scenes. And again, folks, if you go to behindtheshot.tv, every shot that I'm showing, every link that we talk about will be in the notes at behindtheshot.tv. But as you're, sketching this out before you measure it, like you're measuring after it's set up so that you can recreate that, that focal length and everything. As you, as you are designing this before you shoot it and you're coming up with six lights, Mm -hmm. explain to me your thought process on designing the lighting, right? Not, not the fact that you only needed two for Quentin instead, but what was your goal? Because again, I've got the shot here up full screen. You've got that light above the Rick Dalton poster on the right hand side up high. You can see the highlight uh, that when I say highlight, I mean a a light way up on a stand and I'll I'll pull up behind the shots so that you can see it way up high there reflecting in the mirrors, which is great because it makes it look like, I mean, that really gives the feel that this is not artificially lit, that that's a reflection of something on the ceiling that's lighting you. Mm -hmm. That light behind them coming through and lighting up that bar adds 3D to this shot. You've clearly got main lights, key lights on them. As you, as a lighting person, one of the best I've ever seen, explain how you started. Okay, I'm going to do this light. I'm going to do this light. I want this light because. All right. So
1: going into this shot, I knew I wanted three lights. I wanted... What I call an on-camera flash. Look right over the camera. Uh, look at the you know the shadow under under Margot's chin. Um, right over the camera, on-camera flash. I knew I needed that light. Okay. And in the BTS photo, you can see it in the middle, at the far right-hand side of the camera. In the middle, all the way over to the right, is the main light. Uh, And what what, you can see ahead and you can see the diffusion on it. Right. And it's, and it's flagged. Okay. Okay. So I knew that was my main, I knew that. Then I knew I wanted a rim because I wanted that, you know, kind of the light that's on the bar uh, that is lighting up the, the bottles kind of light. That's the light over Margot's head that i knew was also going to give me this great rim and i've done the uh on camera flash into a reflection gag before so i knew i wanted a light which in the bts photo is the the light on far right up high that um that you pointed out that's right. designed just to be the light in the reflection of the mirror So then we've got that and we take a shot and I go, "Mm, let's add some drama to the curtains. Which by the way,
0: we should, let me interject. The curtains aren't real in this scene. You added the curtains, you built, you built this bar. This is, this is somebody's living room.
1: That's a living room. And where the mirror is, that's the fireplace. (laughs) Okay. Right. And, you can see uh, one of my crew, Lee Morgan, at lower left. Behind him is the dining room where if you now go back to the uh, photo, you'll see that we put up um, a black V-flat to create a black wall and then oh. hung the Rick Dalton poster.
0: Okay. Now,
1: the Rick Dalton poster needs a light, right? And oh, the curtains yeah. the curtains need lights. So now if you go back to the BTS, there are our uh, gridded, up lights, and it looks like we've got some CTO on them just to warm them up for the curtains. And, and so you gridded
0: them basically because you just you did not want them to spill anywhere, but show me the folds in the curtains and show me the poster.
1: Not only that, like every single pick, every single, interestingly, every single um, head in this uh, shot is gridded, which is a little bit unusual, but also like I'm not just lighting the talent. I'm now lighting a bar a fake bar. And if I wanted to go to this bar, what would that fake bar look like? You know, like those curtains, those are kind of beautifully lit. And like, how cool would it be at this bar that the velvet curtains would be lit? And it's not clear, like, is that going into a private room? Or is that, you know, the entrance? Either way, it doesn't matter. We're throwing light on the curtains.
0: So six strobes in all. And the other thing I noticed was this. So it looks like you have stand-ins. Uh, oh my God, it? yes. So when you measured this, you don't want to waste the talent's time, obviously. So you're you're staging this every which way but loose so that when they walk in, they walk in, they're out. When I'm
1: I'm pre-lighting this, I've got stand-ins. And by the way, um, wait, no, go back to that BTS photo. People are going to look at that that BTS and say, what is that Ellen Chrome Octobank doing there? And I'm going to say that's lighting the seamless that was off to my right, not the seamless that's behind me. So, in that room, we had two seamless setups and we had the bar setup. And then in the driveway, we had two setups. And in the yard, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven setups. So we're not just doing this shot. Right. And just to make matters more complicated, this was one of the two locations we shot at that day.
0: Wow. Okay, so I want to get into composition because something I noticed in this shot, I mentioned to you in the green room before we started, I'm curious if you saw this as you composed it because compositionally, This shot is nothing short of amazing to me. Like, as soon as I saw it, I just kept coming back. Those two walls, the one on the left at 45 degrees, the one on the right probably at 30 degrees, the bar matching it, and the number of triangles. There are so many triangle graphic elements in this shot. It blows my mind, and it makes the shot to me. For example, above the Rick Dalton poster, there is a triangle between the curtains and the light. Oh, my God. Yeah. Down below the bar where the bartender would stand makes a triangle. The walls where the curtain folds back in between Margot and Quentin, there's a triangle. There are so many, and and there's other geometric shapes in here. The mirrors happen to be circles, right? The V-neck that you see on Leo is effectively a triangle, but has the tie in it, which the tie is two triangles. Right below the flared backlight, there's a triangle. Right? right? It, it, and, and it did not stop me from just immediately going, there's something in this shot that's repeating, that's sucking me in and keeping me here and pointing at things for me. And I love that. So I'm curious, A, was any of that intentional? And B... As you're looking through a lens, okay, you're thinking about the lighting and clearly, obviously you're thinking about composition. Yes. But, but that takes a different, that takes a different viewpoint for every photographer, right? So as you are looking through as art and you're looking at the composition, what's, what's going through your head? Cause I can't even imagine being there. So a, a number of different things.
1: One is that, um, one of the lessons that we learned early in photography is that layers pull you through a photo. Number one. Number two, converging lines force you to look at certain things. Number three, a a bright background pulls your eye through the frame. So what I want and what I wanted was for the viewer to engage with the picture and just have their eye just keep moving through the frame and finding new things. I also knew that the corner of a bar is the intimate part of a bar. And I knew that getting my talent to give, uh, to have the opportunity to have some physicality and not just stand is, is really, really important. So obviously the reference for this photo is the incredibly famous Slim Aaron's photo of uh, Clark Gable, uh, Van Haflin, Gary Cooper, and Jimmy Stewart. Which, if I were you, I would—and I don't know how you are sharing your screen—I would see if I could, you know, pull it up and share your screen and and find it um, right. and and show it. Um, yeah, what I'll but,
0: do is I will definitely put a link to it in the show notes. If I put it in, it could be, I don't want to infringe anybody's copyright, but but I'll definitely put it in the show notes.
1: In that photo, Jimmy Cooper, uh, sorry, Jimmy Stewart is leaning on the bar and everybody else is standing in a semicircle around it's, it's four guys in formal wear at a bar. Um, and you just, you don't see that much of the bar. It's one of the most, you know, iconic movie star photos of the 20th century. Um, but I wanted to give my talent the opportunity to really use the bar. Um, So those were my main considerations was to pull you through, to have you subconsciously wonder like what's behind those curtains and to be at the corner of a bar.
0: So let's talk about after the shoot, because one, one thing I find interesting here, lots of people do composites and, Friends of mine in the music industry, composite band members together based on where they are. Mm-hmm. But inevitably it's always, you know, I, I don't want to use the wrong word here because I, I don't mean any disrespect to anybody, but they're not all it's it's not always mission critical that those composites clearly blend as though they were in the same spot at the same time. Uh. They may be, they may be, <laughs> you know, two different bands being composited in a stadium somewhere and and you know, whatever. There's, there's a job for everything, but in this shot, the composite is super difficult because you've got glasses that are transparent in front of hands, some half full, some showing. So, so when you have a a half full glass, the transparency where the liquid is, is different than the transparency where something, you know, is behind no liquid. You've got hands crossing each other. So You know, Quentin's hand goes in front of Margot, even though it was shot at a different place. Their eyes are looking the same direction. What is the process for compositing this for you, the the workflow for how you deal with post?
1: So first and foremost, I work with some of the greatest retouchers working in the country. Um, The one I've worked with the most and the longest, um, uh, Angie Hayes at the Happy Pixel Project, I I have her in my back pocket, and I know um, that she and the other retouchers I work with are capable of pulling off miracles if I give them the tools, if I give them as much as I can. I am just incredibly considerate of my retouchers. Um, I want to make their lives easy so that the basics are in place, and I can get to then I can really drill down with right. like Quentin's hand through the glass.
0: Which is like, that's a cell right there. Right. Like so that, That's a convincer right there. So I'm measuring
1: like crazy and I'm measuring the height of the bar. Because when I fly to France and I ask Quentin to put his elbow on a piece of foam core on a top of a pile of Apple boxes, I want that. You didn't have the same bar? Absolutely not. No, 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 no. no. That's A, a rental bar. And B, you know, Sony was nice enough to fly me and my first and a tech to France. But no, 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 no. All of the set pieces. um, And again, this is one of multiple comps into which we had to comp Quentin. We had to make up on the spot.
0: You're, you're a freaking magician. Um, so, okay. When So do you do any post-work, dodging, burning, color correction if it's color, exposure, or, or do you just hand raw files to your retouchers?
1: I hand a rough comp to the retoucher and I give them like just a list of instructions. And... Um, on set, we're in Capture One and we have uh, fine-tuned in Capture One what I really want okay. this thing to look like. So they've got a jumping off point.
0: Perfect. So let's switch now to the business side of things. And I and I don't normally cover this, but you're dealing with a clientele at a level and a complexity that most people will never do, but I think A, would be fascinated in. And B, I, I would wager that most of what they could gather knowledge-wise from you is applicable in many cases, regardless of, you know, size or price of a job. As an example, most photographers that I know struggle to price even a simple shoot. Somebody comes to them and wants them to do headshots or corporate headshots or corporate portraits or, you know, I don't know, senior portraits, whatever. Um, in my case, local band comes to somebody and says, will you shoot promo shots for us? And and I've had people ask me before, you know, what should I charge? People struggle with that. I do too. It's, it, that's really good to know. Oh my God. Yes. And, and to that point, we
1: literally had, uh, a, a possible client reach out last week and say, Hey, um, we've got, uh, a celebrity in Calabasas with champagne. Um, how much? How much will that cost? And we said, "Well, how long do we have with the talent? What's included in the estimate? Um, what's the end use for the photos? Um, because my fee really does range depending on the overall budget and all of the different, you know, factors that go into putting a budget together. So um, we we have literally just, you know, collectively, my business manager, my first, my agent, and I said, you know what, going forward, we're getting more and more of these kinds of calls. We are going to say that we don't, we can't give uh, an estimate. Um, Art doesn't have a set fee um, until we know all of these things.
0: Right. In other words, clarity of mission matters, right? You have to know exactly what you're doing and everybody has to be on the same page. Some people, it's just a session price. Other people, they're doing big shoots with a crew. If you were to give people one tip on the business side of photography, what would that be?
1: Oh my God. That's an entire podcast. Um, one tip is, um, The age old, do not undervalue what you're bringing to the table. Um, Be, act like a professional and stand your ground and be prepared to not get the shoot.
0: And what is your, we're going to switch to a speed round here. A couple of questions, answer them as fast as you want. Your favorite big production
1: How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Break it Ooh. down into bite-sized pieces. Um, like I said, we had two seamlesses and one, two, three, four, five set pieces on this job. Break them down. Um, break them down and um, like, how bu- how many lights are we going to need for this set? How many lights are we going to need for that set? How much is this set going to cost? Ask my set designer to... Give me an estimate for the bar shot. Give me an estimate for the um, motorhome shot. Give me an estimate for blah, 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 blah. Break it down. Make it easy for you and your crew to understand what you're doing and make it easy for your client to understand why these different things cost what they do.
0: Any mobile apps that you could not live without?
1: Mobile apps. Um, Sunseeker. Okay. Uh, I don't, I'm not in the phone solving a lot of these problems. I'm at, you know, mission control with two monitors and as right. many resources, you know, Google maps, by the way, is huge. I would say Google maps
0: and Sunseeker. Okay. Biggest mistake you almost made or did make. Oh my God. Um,
1: uh, oh my God, years ago, um, being flippant uh, with a client and not appreciating that what I thought was funny, they would not think was funny.
0: Favorite composition rule if you have one?
1: Oh uh, my God, I believe in the rule of thirds. I believe in a double page spread. I believe in, uh, like I said, layering. I believe in foreground. Oh my god, foreground.
0: Foreground is huge. Yeah, that's um, that's the bar here.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. There this 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 photo has three vertical layers and it's got uh three depth layers. Yeah, oh yeah. Okay. Favorite drink. Uh margarita rocks and salt. Um I don't like the um, the pre-made mix. Like if I could just have some fresh lime juice, uh, honestly, maybe a little Cointreau, maybe some agave. It, we don't need to, uh, God, just make a, make an adult margarita and put it in a rocks glass, you know, like, like Brad has, like like you put it in a rocks glass, you yeah. know, no umbrellas. We're not on vacation. Okay.
0: Favorite band or singer?
1: Uh My God. Um, I'm a rock classicist. uh, So I'm going to have to go with the Beatles and the Stones and, you know, and Elton and the Doors and, you know, just the music that has stood literally the test of time. We're now into six decades of the world still appreciating The Beatles and the Stones.
0: Agree. Totally agree. I I actually work at at a rock radio station that plays, you know, 90s and 2000s. And we still on occasion, we'll drop a Stone song in there. We don't do Beatles so much anymore, but we used to do Brunch with the Beatles. I hosted Brunch with the Beatles with them. Oh my God, Uh, I love Brunch with the Beatles. Oh, I've got some rare Beatles back here. Ooh boy. Uh, Last question. Is there a photographer out there that you think deserves more attention that people should go look up and follow?
1: Wow. Um, no, because I think the people that deserve the attention are getting the attention, especially now that they social media. You know, there are photographers out there getting a lot of social media attention that I'm not aware of. So... God,
0: I, I cannot. I well, cannot and, think of a, a photographer. A, I would insert into that the the discoverability. I think on social media is weak, except for community. So I don't discover a lot of stuff on Instagram. But I had somebody reach out to me and say, "Here's Art Stryber. Hmm. and I think I just shared a picture today. I saw I saw a photo randomly on Instagram that I loved and I just shared it in a story and suddenly I got people commenting on it. Some of them liking it. Some of them not. There you go. I think it's amazing what what the community does for itself. Then let's shout
1: out Bill Shapiro, former editor in chief of life magazine who is posting unsung photographic heroes from the last 50 years. Um, it, It could be somebody working today and it could be somebody uh, you know, whose work is 50, 60, 70 years old, Bill Shapiro.
0: Okay. Well, I'll put show notes links to to Bill in the show notes so that everybody can find him. And last but not least, Art, if people want to connect with you, and again, if you've been watching the video, they've been popping up, but if you're on the audio feed, I want you to make sure that I want to make sure that you know exactly where you can go. What is your website, social media, where can people find you? What should people know?
1: Um, artstriber.com. Uh, and Instagram is AS pictures.
0: Okay. That makes it really easy. Then AS pictures and artstriber.com. And it's, it's S T R E I B E R.com artstriber.com. That is Art, correct. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I really honestly, I could talk to you about this stuff all day. Your work is uh, well, amazing. Amazing. Thank amazing.
1: Thank you. And you know what? Happy to make this, uh, an annual event. If, uh, if you feel like that's something you'd like to do, because I love talking about the nuts and bolts and like how these pictures came to be. And if you look at my Instagram, that's what I'm doing on Instagram. And I, I, I'm not doing that as a gimmick. I lecture, um, not as much as I used to because of uh, the pandemic, but my lecture is really built around how did you How did we, how did my crew and I get the shot? So I've never done a podcast like this and I love it, love it.
0: Yeah, I I will say what you do on Instagram, I find fascinating, yes, because as you mentioned earlier, you're taking behind the scenes shots and then you are writing large amounts of text describing exactly what you do on each individual shoot. And then usually, and I love this by the way, not in that post. Like it'll be a post just on how you did it. And then the next post will be, oh, and how did it come out? Here's the final result. And well, let really me, honest. If if I could, let me just say uh,
1: two important things about my Instagram feed that I get asked all the time. Uh, one is, um, do you write those yourself? And the answer is yes. And, uh, and the, the question, and then the other question I get is, why are you giving away so much information? And what I hope came out of this podcast is the idea that Instagram isn't the platform for um, my going deep, 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 deep. Right. And so I'm really only discussing maybe 10% of what it took to get the particular photo that I'm describing and, um, and, and trying to explain. Um, a a lot of the information I can't share is proprietary. Um, uh, and I don't mean with my light, I mean, with, you know, my relationships with my clients or the talent or whatever, but I'm trying to share, you know, as much as I can.
0: Well, you sir are very much appreciated. I thank Thank you you. so much for doing this. And yes, definitely. I'm going to bug you to be on again. And everybody heard it. He said that he would, so he's got to do it now. And by the way, while I'm thinking about it, Evan. Uh, would you please thank him for me? Because Evan uh, was instrumental in putting this all together. Evan And Mullen. I believe in credit where credit is due. So thank you as well.
1: Absolutely. My incredible first assistant and um, studio manager. Um, I, I have to thank him for, for pulling this whole thing together. And I really have to shout out Elaine Brown, my former first assistant executive producer, now my agent, who oh. really, really, really,
0: helped make this shoot happen. All right, Art, thank you again very much. And to everybody, thank you so much for watching. Uh, My name is Steve Brazel. If you wanna find the show notes for this blog post, or for this episode, head over to the blog. It's behindtheshot.tv. If you want to find me, it's stevebrazil.com, like the country of Brazil, but two L's. Of course, if you're watching on YouTube, the show notes as well are down below the like and the subscribe button, so you can head on down there. If you want to find me on social media, it's really easy to do. I, I'm not on Facebook anymore, but either Twitter or Instagram, it's at Steve Brazzle for the personal one, at behindtheshot.tv for the podcast one. That wraps it up this time around. Thank you to everybody. Oh, one last thing, if you would... If you have access to to Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever you want to call it, if you drop us a star rating, if you drop us a written review, it helps a great deal with discoverability. Also just helps me mentally to know that people are liking what I'm doing. So if you would take a few moments, I would very much appreciate it. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure you join us next time as we try to get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind one of their shots.